Welcome to Marketing Meets Web3, a podcast sponsored by Step3. Today, we are going to be talking about EA Sports to the game and <laughs> what they've done with uh, Nike. Uh, we're also going to be talking about um, T-Mobile, which is doing uh, something very interesting as a validator in this um, sector. And finally, we will be talking about uh, F1, F1 tickets precisely, and uh, what a company selling them is doing with uh, NFT tickets. Okay, let's uh, do it. Today's conversation is for information purposes only and does not constitute legal or investment advice. Hello, Nick. How are you doing? Hi, Alberto. I'm doing well. How are you? I am doing awesome. I am. Uh, I just noticed that I'm missing playing uh, games with my cousin. This is something I did during my during my um, high school and uh, college years. And we used to play. You were a gamer. Yeah, 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 yeah. We used to play only one game. We only played uh, FIFA and um, we called it FIFA. That's it, only FIFA. And uh, that was, of course, the football game, the, the soccer, as you as you in the US uh, call it. But surprisingly enough, I, I am reading now the, the first um, headline for the, for the news that we have today. And it is one that says FIFA maiden maker EA Sports to add uh, Nike NFTs to games. So it's talking about FIFA, EA Sports, and the Maiden Maker. Uh, so the Maiden Maker, I don't know what Maiden is. What is Maiden? Hold, hold on, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause you for our uh, United States listeners. So you're, I think you're saying Madden Maker, right? Madden, like John Madden. It's, it's the first time I'm, re I'm reading that thing. <laughs> okay, so we've got FIFA, and the Madden Maker, EA Sports, is going to add Nike NFTs to games. Okay, continue. Yes. No, no, that, that was my whole point. What, 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 is, what is Madden? And uh, this is certainly not the game I was playing with my cousin. No, but it's definitely a game that I played. Maybe not with my cousin, but uh, Madden, it's been a... Gosh, I don't, I don't even know how long Madden's been around. Probably a decade and a half, maybe longer. I'm not sure. We should look that up. Uh, but yeah, it's, a, it's an institution in video gaming, sports video gaming. Um, so... I'm curious to hear more about this. So what is EA, by the way, Electronic Arts, for anybody who doesn't know that, uh, who hasn't been a gamer, but they're a huge game studio, uh, one of the largest in the world. And EA Sports focuses specifically on their uh, sports gaming titles. So they're collaborating with Nike, something to do with NFTs and games. Tell us more. Right. Yes. So Nike or... EA, I don't know who approached who, are um, collaborating now with this um, with with, a, with an NFT. Let's say they don't they don't call it NFT, but they they're basically gonna enter into a collaboration where uh, Nike is going to be offering these um, virtual uh, assets or virtual um, collectibles in the, in EA Sports uh, games. So let's say in the Madden uh, games or in the FIFA games that I was playing, you will be able to see some of these um, items that uh, come from, from FIFA. And uh, you will be able, of course, to, to purchase them in, um, in, uh, in an NFT form. So you will be able to purchase them in using, using in this case, a, a blockchain called uh, Polygon, which, uh, as we should know already, uh, it's a layer two for, for Ethereum. So basically, it's a collaboration to offer virtual collectibles, NFTs from Nike, from a, a platform that Nike created called dot shoes in uh, in uh, these uh, EA Sports uh, games. So, what do you think? Yeah, so uh, 
dig into this a little bit. So Nike, uh, in the past couple of years, they launched a platform called Dot Swoosh, and it actually went live, I think, at the end of last year. Uh, timeline's a little bit fuzzy, but uh, it's been live for a while now. They've been doing drops. They have these uh, these virtual collectibles or these virtual goods. Um, they actually just did their ON1F uh, drop. Uh, I was lucky enough to get a, a poster drop, which then got me access to a mystery box. But yeah, and their, their last drop, they actually were really successful. I think they did upwards of a million dollars of NFT sales on these uh, these boxes, which there will be a reveal and some of them will be rare. Some of them will be less rare. But the idea is that you know from the beginning, Nike has had this vision of creating a platform to create this digital community that is all kind of focused around these these virtual items, these virtual collectibles. And I think it's been, you know, a little bit unclear. There's been a lot of guessing about how Nike is going to move forward with the strategy beyond just, you know, creating mints and creating hype around this, which is an important part of the process. But uh, this is the first time I think that we're starting to see things sort of collaborations happening outside of Nike's own internal ecosystem. So if you rewind time a couple of years ago, Nike bought the studio Artifact. Artifact is a digital studio uh, focused on things like, you know, metaverse style virtual collectibles. Uh, they purchased Artifact and they they brought the, uh, the designers at Artifact in-house and they've been, you know, collaborating on internal projects. So they've had, you know, virtual shoe drops and all of these digital items. Um, but it's really been inside of the Dot Swoosh ecosystem. So now they're opening this up. They're collaborating with EA uh, on upcoming games. You know, I think this really goes to the core of what play to earn, uh, play and earn, play, you know, whatever you want to call it, this idea that we're going to mix NFTs and games. It's at the heart. Uh, this idea is at the heart of that concept. And it's it's really simple, actually. It's, it's the idea that as a player in a game, I'm going to go off and I'm going to earn things or I'm going to win things or I'm going to pay for things in a game. And those could be, you know, the armor that my character is wearing. In this case, it could be the shoes on my player. It could be the jersey. It could be the helmet. It could be a different colorway. So my player looks really cool on the field. Um, but as digital collectibles, these are owned by the players. And that's really the promise and the vision for this future of gaming, where we can start to own things inside of these experiences and hey, if we want to leave the experience and we decide that we're done playing Madden or whatever game they're incorporating into, it's easy enough for us to take those to a marketplace, sell those on a secondary, trade them, leave the game, try new experiences, or even take that to a new game. So you can imagine a player who maybe plays FIFA and plays Madden and plays NBA, you know, being able to take your characters and maybe you have a jersey or a jersey number that's part of your digital collectible. And now you have this identity across three totally unrelated games, and you're starting to build your own sort of personality, your own identity inside of this virtual world. Um, and really, I mean, that you know, that goes back to the metaverse. There's lots to dig into there. But yeah, this is a cool collaboration. Yeah, well, they don't wear helmets in my football, <laughs> at least in the one I know. But uh, They do in ours. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I do remember... I do remember playing um, this this game, of course, as I said, with my with my cousin. And you know, once you've played it long enough, uh, you start to meddle, you know, with the things. Uh, you just start testing things and trying things out, and and you start to create a, a more personalized experience. And I remember we created um, a team each with the with the players that we wanted, and we cre we created the the of course the t-shirt colors and, uh, and the style the design 
and uh, that was like our our team. Well, that was my team, and that was his team, of course. And, and we played against uh, against each other. And that part was uh, was interesting. And um, what you've been talking about here, I think, uh, sheds some light over something that I think we've discussed in the past, but um, in in this collaboration in particular, I think it becomes more clear. Which is, of course, in, in all games, you can at some point sell. Uh, the, pro- the, pro- the, the property, the property of uh, of the asset. You know, in this case, it could be uh, FIFA by itself selling uh, t-shirts and selling uh, shoes or helmets, and make them their own and then available to the to the players. But of course, it lacks a bit of uh, strength because uh, nobody wears uh, FIFA shoes, right? They wear Nike shoes or Adidas, right? So when when you see, when you have uh, another player, in this case Nike or Nike coming into EA Sports and creating assets. In this case, uh, could be boots, it could be you know helmets, shoes, uh, sorry, uh, pants or whatever. Uh, then it becomes something that the that the player might find uh, may find more more valuable, and then um, and then really kickstart this uh, this kind of uh, economy or or options. No, so yeah, I think I think this is uh, the beginning of something. It doesn't feel to me that uh, this is going to stay like that because uh, let's say that this this collaboration begin, begins to work right and uh, it creates a, a place for a place for Nike to to, to sell their collectibles and um, and FIFA players and FIFA itself uh, benefits from this i mean the next thing that's going to happen is that Adidas is going to come with their own collectibles and uh, somebody else is going to come with their own collectibles right uh, new balance or uh, other other brands and um, yeah i think i think this makes a lot more sense than uh, the game by itself selling their own assets this will happen as well but uh, i think this makes um, more sense to me well and i think i want to key in on something just from the marketing perspective if you think about these different brands that are now using these virtual collectibles as a point of connection between these experiences what we're really talking about is cross-pollinating audiences and opening up ecosystems so that our collectibles actually become an acquisition channel. And what I mean by that is, let's say that I'm part of Nike.swoosh, right? And so, and, and I am, right? And so I have a couple of collectibles. And now Nike, by partnering with EA Sports, is opening up a new avenue for me to use these collectibles. As a collectible, as a consumer, that does a couple of things for me. Number one, it makes me feel better about this collectible that I have from Nike, right? It makes me feel like they're developing something that has some sort of future, that there's potential value there. And they're doing this in a way that connects me to EA Sports. So I have played their games in the past, but had I not, or maybe I haven't played in a long time, I'm actually a new customer or a returning customer. And that could all be driven by my desire to see my stuff in a game. Maybe that's the draw, right? I, I didn't, I wasn't actually interested in playing games that much, but then I was like, oh, I can see my shoes in that game. That's cool. I'm going to go check that out. And I think the reverse happens too. You've got players in these games who will start to see these collectibles coming from different brands, whether it's Nike, Adidas, New Balance, and they'll be like, hey, where'd you get those shoes, right? And it's like, well, I have to go get some of those too. And now, so you've got this two-way door now between these brands. And this is really, you know, we've talked about this a bit before, but this idea of open collaboration or permissionless partnership, this idea that brands can start to interact with each other 
by this connection point being this virtual collectible that really starts to open doors for customer acquisition, customer retention, and really keeping people engaged in a way that we haven't been able to as marketers in the past. So this is pretty cool. And I have a, a last comment on this because I, I, I was thinking about it as uh, as you were talking and um, I, I have to share it. Um, you know, recently they... they um, um, published <laughs> i don't know i don't know the word but uh they they aired this movie called air right uh from uh from from the jordan um air shoes right oh right and um right. yes so what happened when uh when michael jordan created that that uh those shoes with nike the the, the air jordan um shoes that was massive and the story behind it is also massive i wonder whether something like this you know these collaborations between uh between uh, games and uh, brands and players and the fact that this can be done over web3 makes uh, something like the the jordan air uh, shoes something that uh, will, will be much more common maybe not as big as um, the jordan air or the jordan uh, sorry shoes but uh, but certainly something that i think uh, will will be able to happen um, um, more often than it happened in the past yeah, no, I, back to the cross-pollination thing. I think we're going to see these collectibles driving a lot more than just uh, collecting activity. You know, I think starting with the idea of, you know, in your, in your case, like, you know, the, the Nike ones, like this idea that you have a collectible, but then it's attached to a legacy and a narrative. And, you know, that just opens the door for so much opportunity when you start taking that collectible into other experiences, other franchises, other uh, types of entertainment that then can be expanded upon. And you have this group of people that are collecting this thing and really become your core audience. Um, so this is, this is really interesting to see. Of course, this, these collectibles, uh, um, collectibles, NFTs, um, virtual art, however you want to call it, needs to live, uh, somewhere, right? And, um, a place where these collectibles uh, live is, um, usually a blockchain and um, there's a, a blockchain in particular which uh, we just mentioned because it's the one that um, ea and nike is using um is a polygon and uh, polygon has uh, recently gotten a validator we, we can explain we, we can explain what a validator is but has recently has recently get, gotten a validator of uh, some name let's say of some uh, credentials uh, can you can you talk more about this yeah. So before we dive into the news headline here, uh, just a real quick uh, terminology thing. So a validator on a blockchain is basically a it's a computer or a node that helps keep the blockchain uh, accurate and secure. Um, and it does that by becoming one of hundreds or thousands of other validators that basically verify transactions. So when I sell my Nike collectible to you, Alberto, that transaction doesn't just go out once, it goes out to hundreds or thousands of validators who then look at that transaction, confirm that it's accurate. And once they all agree that that's a, a well-formed transaction, that it's not fraudulent, then it goes to the blockchain. So validators are really essential in blockchains. They keep the entire chain secure. They make sure that it's very, very, very hard, if not impossible for uh, bad actors to forge transactions. Um, so validator, being a pretty important part of a blockchain um, comes with a lot of responsibility. And the news here is that T-Mobile, uh, the parent company, uh, Deutsche Telekom, is joining Polygon as a validator. 
Um, so that's huge. We're talking about a, a massive telecom company um, who's decided to start validating transactions on the Polygon blockchain. Um, so you want to dig into a few of the points here, Albert? Right, yeah, because um, when I when I found out about this uh, this announcement, I so something that really got to me were the comments from uh, in this case is uh, is a person called Dirk Roder, who is the the head of Deutsche Telekom's uh, Blockchain Solutions Center. Uh, well, I guess uh, these heads of uh, blockchain solutions are gonna sp happen to be everywhere at some point. But uh, yeah, uh, Deutsche Telekom already has uh, his, and this is a person called Dirk Roder, and he made some comments for for um, well, some comments that were then um, getting into the piece of news that we're gonna be covering. And uh, the first comment that he makes is one where he says, and I quote here, Dirk Roder. Important step for Deutsche Telekom to fully exploit the potential of blockchain technology and enable applications suitable for mass deployment. Close quote. So, I think this is uh, this is uh, of course a statement from from this person who is talking about exploiting the potential of blockchain technology, right? And um, it feels to me that I don't know. We can we can discuss a bit about this. So what do you think is is this potential that that this person is uh, is looking at here? Well, uh, you know, I think for all technology to really get to the next stage of adoption, you need big players in the space who are going to not only evangelize, but support the technology. So if you think about smartphones, um, the, the iPhone wasn't the first smartphone, right? There were plenty of attempts at creating a smart device prior to that. You know, BlackBerry in some ways was a smartphone. Um, before that, you had the Palm Pilot. And one of the reasons those platforms had limited adoption, although I'm sure there are people out there who would happily go to the, back to their BlackBerry, um, but not mass adoption. You know, they had their, their very focused uh, niches. Um, one of the reasons why the iPhone was so successful is because they created a platform to support app development. And when they opened up the App Store, which initially was was closed, it was only for Apple, but they eventually opened that to developers and that opened up a world of imagination and possibility and allowed developers to start creating apps for the smartphone technology that, you know, every use case under the sun now exists in the app store. It's, it's pretty impossible to go to the app store and not find an app for some, you know, any type of problem or, or thing that you're trying to solve for. Um, so the idea that a major technology company is stepping on, uh, stepping on board to become a validator for a blockchain, I think one is a vote of confidence for this technology, right? This is a huge global company that's putting resources behind a technology and saying, we believe this is going somewhere. And number two, it's it's bound to create a more robust infrastructure um, that will allow more and more people to start taking advantage of this technology. And there are pros and cons we can get into about that, you know, regarding decentralization and making sure that we don't have too much corporate control in some of these blockchains. Um, but this is, I think, a positive step forward in terms of making sure that we have a, a robust blockchain to build on. Yeah, it's interesting that, I mean, I don't know how involved they are in creating applications themselves for for Polygon, but uh, it's interesting that they they are they want to see how the cookie is made. No, they want to be part of uh, of of um, the, the the cookie maker, right? Uh, as you said, uh, by becoming a, a validator. So they are willing, as they say, to you know to enable applications suitable for mass deployment. But they want to see how all of this is happening, right? So yeah, I I, I 
certainly don't know uh, how involved they are, but they, they I think this um, this announcement speaks to what they what they see, which is they see value in here, and they want to be a part of it. They, they don't want to be something that uh, well exists and they may. Uh, benefit somehow they, they want to be part of it and uh, i think yeah what, what you were saying i think this is important for the blockchain for the services themselves but also speaks of uh, well the, the potential of this which uh, uh in this case has been um, um acknowledged by by a company such as uh, such as this one and um they make another comment i want to quote uh rather again which is uh one where he says and i quote um, they're, they're exploring the possibility of productizing our services, close quote. So uh, we, we don't have uh, Deutsche Telekom in uh, in Spain, but uh, I guess, well, they are like any other um, telecom provider. It could be like Vodafone or something like that. But what do you think they mean by productizing their services? Yeah, I, I, I guess I'm not going to try to read the tea leaves on where they might take their their services in terms of a product. But this is where I will say that it gets a little murky. Um, and this is where we can this can be a slippery, slippery slope when we have major players coming into any kind of technology. Um, the moment they start thinking about productizing, you know, there's a business model there, which means they're thinking about generating revenue and generating profit. And sometimes those things are at odds with um, other aspects of the technology, like like I spoke a moment ago about decentralization, right? So if the idea with a decentralized blockchain is that we want to make sure that we don't have corporate control over the chain and we want to make sure that this almost functions as a public utility or a public good, um, I think it gets a little bit dicey when corporations come in and start talking about productizing services because any any strategy, <laughs> you know, strategy 101, you're going to try to take market share, which means that you may uh, implement tactics that are going to be competitive, anti-competitive ways to take more market share, which means that you're going to be thinking about how do we take more control, which is sort of at odds with the ethos of decentralization. Um, and so that's that's one area where I think, you know, we need to be careful as a community, as people who are helping this technology come into its own. We just need to be mindful of there is a time and a place, I think, for people to productize things. And there's also a time and a place for us to step back and say, well, we need to let this bake a little bit further or that's not in the best interest of building a robust blockchain that's actually going to serve as many stakeholders as possible. Okay, if you are concerned now, wait until I quote the last comment from, from Roder. Roder said the company is, and I quote, making significant commitments to expand its presence and reliability as an infrastructure provider in the Web3 domain, close quote. So, okay, if you were concerned already, <laughs> uh, I think this speaks um, further into your concerns because, um, well, as, as you said, I think as a validator, since they are part of a number of validators, um, it may not be so problematic. But of course, the, the what his what the what this person is commenting on here when they're saying about when, when they're when they're saying um, expand its presence and um, and become an, infra an infrastructure provider. Well, that that means that uh, they are willing to be more than a validator eventually, right? Potentially. Yeah. And again, we, we don't know where this really goes because we're not inside these companies and, uh, you know, we don't have access to the strategy that they're thinking about for Web3. Um, I do think that, you know, when you think about a telecom company, their infrastructure, right? They're behind the scenes, rarely 
you know, outside of the retail brands like T-Mobile, Deutsche Telekom is, is largely an infrastructure player. And so thinking about infrastructure and you think about what happened in Web2 with uh, companies like Amazon and AWS, right? Amazon with AWS, they originally built AWS in service of Amazon to make it a robust e-commerce experience and eventually realized, hey, we've built a lot of infrastructure. We have a lot of expertise. Why don't we productize this and offer this to the wider world, which they did. And they ended up taking a significant market share of the Web2 infrastructure industry. I think that there are telecom or infrastructure companies like Deutsche Telekom who are looking at Web3 as an opportunity to not miss the boat the second time around, right? They, a lot of these companies missed the boat. They didn't get in on a big slice of the internet activity or infrastructure. And they're looking at Web3 as an opportunity to take their slice of the pie. Uh, so yeah, that's, you know, obviously it's motivated by, uh, business motivations, profit motivations, we need to be careful. But at the same time, though, if you think about what AWS AWS actually did for Web 2, it actually opened up the web. It, it did make the web more accessible to a lot of developers, to a lot of companies. There's always a tipping point, and some people believe that it's gone over that tipping point, and that's why we have Web 3 or the directions that we're going with Web 3. But at the same time, it's very possible that having large players come into the space like this is going to give us uh, more accessibility of the blockchain, make it cheaper to develop, which ultimately will expand adoption. Yeah, as you, as you said, we will see where this takes us in the future. Uh, it may take us close to Monaco, which is um, a small uh, country in, next, to, next to France, in the south of France. And um, in Monaco, they have a lot of uh, things. Of course, they have um, a lot of events money around hotels, casinos. And they also have uh, the F1, the Formula One um, event. Well, one of the Formula One's events. And um, it was announced uh, recently, well, for the, for the preview, for the last, um, for the last event, that um, one F1 ticket provider called the Platinum Group introduced um, NFT tickets uh, for, for this event. So you, you could basically purchase NFT race tickets. So NFT tickets that allowed you to access um, but not, not sure it would, you you could access the the race only with the NFT. Uh, the the announcement said that you that you could actually. Uh, I I wasn't able to speak to anybody who went there uh, using their NFT to access the the event itself. But uh, in the announcement they they said that with the NFT you could access the race and other things which we will be commenting later. But uh, yes, basically they created this this um, ticket in an NFT form that you could use to access the the. The event and uh, this NFT, of course, as it's the the trend today, was um, minted on the Ethereum sidechain Polygon, which uh, we can speak, speak about um, in a second. But yeah, what, what do you think about uh, F1? Did you play F1 games when you were a kid? I didn't play F1 games, but I'm an F1 fan. I took my dad to an F1 race here in Austin a couple of years ago and had a blast. Um, I, I think it's an, it's an amazing sport. Um, I've also had family members who were involved in racing. So, uh, I am a fan and this whole idea of NFTs as tickets, I think is one of the most tangible and most powerful use cases that we have for web three right now. And, you know, I think beyond just the interesting side of this technology, turning a ticket into an NFT, a digital collectible 
something that has lasting value is such a huge, huge, huge opportunity for talent, for entertainment, for promoters, for venues, for brands. The entire value chain around live entertainment stands to benefit if they can embrace this idea of using a ticket as an ongoing way to recognize and build value with their fans. So this is this is super interesting to me. A couple of things I want to discuss here with you. The first the first one is um that as I said this NFT was uh, created over the Polygon uh, chain. And uh, we discussed uh, Nike before, it was on Polygon. We discussed T-Mobile uh, being a validator on Polygon. Um and this one uh, is as well over Polygon. Do you think it's um it's a problem that all of these are built over polygon what if uh, tomorrow these validators that leave uh, that that validate the polygon chain decide that it's no it's not worth their while to continue to validate and uh, this uh, e effectively kills uh, the the blockchain is it a problem that more and more um, brands uh, and services are being built over uh, the polygon chain well i think you and i hold differing opinions on this one uh, i actually see it as a it's, it's a net positive for adoption so you know the more brands that look at polygon and decide to bring their initiatives to polygon the more validators are going to that are going to be interested because that activity is going to drive validation incentives so like we were talking about earlier you know deutsche telecom becoming a validator on polygon if more and more brands flock to polygon that's going to drive adoption of other validators. So other infrastructure companies are going to look at that because there's business there, right? They see that there's activity, they see there's adoption. And I actually think it stands to make something like Polygon more robust um, because the activity is going to sort of gravitate towards uh, where the brand activity is happening, where the adoption is happening, where the interesting use cases are. But what's your take? Yeah, with, with my point is that we've spoken about uh, cross-chain um, assets in, and bridges in the past. So, I mean, it's not it's nothing new that some of these um, so, some some services exist to allow um, tokens, right, to live in in two chains or at least be able to to move from one chain to the other. But um, there is um, there is there is little uh, work being done in here, precisely. Because of what you are saying, of course, that uh, if Polygon works, why, right? Uh, why, why would you go to, to somewhere else? Why would you invest in uh, in a bridge that takes you out of Polygon in case there's a, there's an issue with Polygon? So, so yeah, I just I just find it as a um, potential risk in the um, in the future. I, I'm not completely against because, as you said, there, there are pros, there are advantages to to having a big player. In the in the blockchain arena, in this case, Polygon, because I guess they, they choose Polygon because it's on top of Ethereum. Uh, Ethereum is um, uh, one of the most, uh, of course, uh, known uh, blockchains and the one with um, a longer history. If if we take out uh, well uh, the, like, the likes of uh, Bitcoin and Litecoin, but um, but yeah, one one where smart contracts were built uh, initially and uh, well, certainly a blockchain that people trust. And on top of it, you can you can you find Polygon, which is basically like ethereum but but cheaper and faster so so yeah i see why the the move from brands to towards polygon but yeah again that this means that uh, there there may be a point where there is no alternative to polygon and uh, i don't know if we are yet in a position to trust polygon as the the one and all right because uh, polygon i think launched three years or four years ago um i don't know if the if the history is uh, is long enough to be uh Totally trust, trust it. 
<laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's basically my my take. And uh, f- f- fair enough, we, we'll we'll agree to disagree on that one. <laughs> and we can move then to the next to the next point I wanted to to discuss, which is uh, okay. These uh, these NFTs that are sold by by the by by the F one um, uh, ticket provider in this case, uh, Platinum Group. So these NFTs they give you the possibility of accessing the event. And they also give you uh, more uh, utility, right? They they speak of they speak of the possibility of um, using these NFTs to access uh, hospitality benefits, also to get discounts in the future, and um, hopefully also they they, they say that it will encourage u- collectors or users of these NFTs to stay loyal to the brand. In this case, I guess they mean the. Um, the platinum group uh, brand that that is selling these these F1 tickets. So, how how do you how do you think they they accomplish this? Because um, well, we are now in this transition between Web two and Web three, and of course, be, at the moment, I guess some users went to Monaco and they used their email to enter the venue, and some users used their NFT. Uh, with the email that uh, you use to enter the venue, you could all potentially also access discounts inside the venue and other uh, benefits as they speak that could um, accrue to the NFT holders. So what do you think is the, in your opinion, the, 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 the advantage of, uh, of the NFT over the email in this case? Yeah, so I, I think this goes back to the idea of uh, collaboration. And the opportunities that collaboration affords for brands, you know, when we talk about brand loyalty, um, in today's world, we have a lot of commoditized experiences and products and things that we pay for that there are so many providers and so many options. Brand loyalty is getting a lot harder to build because it's very easy for consumers to switch. And so, you know, going back to the NFT ticket at an F1 event Sure, I could enter my email and I could probably go around and I could get discounts on things that are happening during the event. But what happens after the event? After the event, let's let's compare these two examples. So if I have an email and I'm, I register for a ticket with an email and I have my paper ticket and I run around, or maybe it's even on my smartphone, but I get my discounts on merch and drinks and whatever's happening at the event. When that event is over, so is that experience for me. Because that ticket is no longer valid for anything. Nobody knows that I have it. With an NFT ticket, that experience is actually just beginning for me. Because now as a holder of a digital asset, that ticket, I have that thing forever if I want. It stays with me. Which means that not only can I use that in the future to redeem benefits. So if they want to incentivize me to come back to a second race, great. Are you holding an NFT ticket? Here's a discount or here's something special. Here's a VIP. Here's a, you know, cut the cut the line, early entry, things like that. All of these opportunity to incentivize return customers. But it also opens up the door for F1 to now partner with other brands. You know, I mean, racing is all about sponsorship, right? <laughs> all of the cars running around these tracks are plastered with sponsor logos. So many opportunities to use these tickets as an unlock to other brands, other opportunities for brands to provide value, to provide rewards, to provide intro offers to new customers. So again, these NFTs become a really interesting acquisition opportunity for brands that are collaborating. So 
I see NFT tickets as a very clear example of how digital assets, NFTs, can take advantage of Web3 technology to open up the door to brand-to-brand collaboration. And it's kind of a situation of rising tides lift all boats, because at the end of the day, brand loyalty is important, but what's also important, maybe more important, is loyalty to the sport. The longer that I remain an F1 fan, the more that I'm going to come back and I'm going to interact with your brand and all the other brands involved in F1. So it's it's better for the entire ecosystem if I'm incentivized by this digital asset to come back and interact with your brand and the next brand and the next brand. So I think this is a really positive development. Really curious to see how this plays out from the consumer adoption side, but I think this is a pattern we're going to see over and over again. When you were when you were speaking of this, I was just picturing this image in my head, which was a person that goes to uh, to Monaco, let's say, and uh, goes around talking to everybody and telling everybody, you know, it's the tenth time I come here, you know, and and people look at him like, okay, whatever, you know. <laughs> uh, compare that to to the person that is purchasing this uh, via NFT. When, when a person that nobody knows, he's no VIP, uh, has come to Monaco, to Monaco for 10 times, he just needs to show his wallet and um, when he's paying for a Coke or whatever inside the event. And uh, at, the, at that precise moment, everybody, well, everybody, the person who is, uh, uh, of course, uh, analyzing this wallet will see all the all the tickets that he's uh, that he's purchased in the past, and he he will see that uh, okay, this is a, this is this is an OG. This is a person that has been coming here for like uh, ten years, and uh, we, we could potentially do something special for this person, right? So instead of uh, coming, yeah, coming there, th- absolutely, yeah, yeah. So that <laughs> I, I was I was picturing this in my head because it's not uncommon to hear people saying, "Oh, I, I come here every day or every year." Uh, okay, that's fine and well, but what what are you really getting for from from that uh, loyalty, right? Well, and two follow-on points from that. Number one, for that person who comes back for the 10th year in a row, in today's world, you're just going to get your 10th ticket. And like you're saying, you might go around and brag to people that I've been here for a decade and people will say, that's great. And you could pull out your smartphone and show pictures. But what if your ticket, because it's a digital collectible, actually evolved with your experience? So maybe you have a palette of these tickets. You have 10 different digital collectibles and there's some sort of theme that runs through them. Or maybe it's a single ticket that changes over time. So every time that you come back, your ticket evolves to reflect your activity and your engagement with F1. So there's this really interesting opportunity for these tickets as digital assets to be very dynamic and very engaging sort of experiences in themselves. Um, I think the other thing is that your example of recognizing this person as a loyal customer That applies not only to just F1, but to every other ticket that somebody holds in their wallet. So imagine a world where people are holding now tickets to all kinds of events and you're able, because this is all blockchain data, right? We can see this. You're able to look at groups of people who not only did they attend an F1 event, but they also went to a concert or they went to a film festival. And that gives us really interesting ways to start thinking about how can we craft experiences, rewards, and target people based on their activity, history, things that they've actually done, things that they express interest in. So I think there's a lot of opportunity here to create better relationships, craft better experiences, and ultimately create better customer engagement with this type of use case. It's very sad indeed that I don't have any of these tickets in NFT form. <laughs> you, you will. We, we all will. Don't worry. It's coming. <laughs> okay, Nick, thank you very much. I think we can uh, leave it here for today. We covered uh, plenty of news and uh, I think, uh, yeah, uh, 
it was it was definitely an interesting conversation here. Always a pleasure. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Marketing Meets Web3. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like and subscribe in your favorite podcast app. You can find our host, Nick Casares, on Twitter at N-I-C-K-C-A-S-A-R-E-S.